Welcome to CISO's Insiders Podcast, powered by GRC Consulting. In this podcast, we'll be interviewing leading CISOs and security leaders in the industry for light, eye-level conversations. Here, they share advice and tips, talk about their biggest accomplishments and failures, favorite drinks, key influencers, and much more. We encourage you to walk away with at least one insight that will help you better yourself or your business. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more content, please check us out on social media. Welcome, everybody. Today, I'm sitting down with Aaron Brown, the head of cloud security over at Vercel. Um, and you know, looking at your bio, Aaron, I see that you've spent a, a long time in the cybersecurity realm. You've been doing this for probably, you know, uh, I think almost a decade now, but uh, and holding all kinds of interesting positions in various companies. Uh, can you step in and introduce yourself? Yeah, hi Ben. Thanks for thanks for having me. Uh, first of all, so my background, uh, you know, into cybersecurity or security in general, I, I imagine much like a lot of people is kind of um, non traditional. I, I think is the best way to call it. So, you know, when I when I finished, uh, you know, high school, ended up going into you know before I went to uh, college and grad school was you know went into the military. Uh, you know, spent some time there, you know, kind of learning how to break things, you know, from a physical perspective, you know, I, I worked in that during that time as an explosives engineer, uh, became, you know, pretty acquainted with, you know, what we would, you know, in the cybersecurity world call kill chain, um, and then moved, uh, you know, from there into, you know, working in the nonprofit world for a while, doing a lot of capacity building, you know, using technologies like Python, uh, ArcGIS to create these overlays and, you know, understand where we were either overlapping, um, you know, our concerns and services or, you know, had gaps in those areas. And, you know, from there moved into engineering, uh, you know, where I worked as a function as a product engineer. Uh, so, you know, building across the entire stack, you know, before I moved into security was working um, quite a bit on, on the front end. So building out, you know, what we were calling at the time Phoebe. So front end back ends, which, you know, to some extent was a you know, kind of a proxy layer in between our, uh, you know, our, our backend services that were, were built with Java. And, you know, during that time, I, I worked as a security champion um, as well. And so got to liaise with our security team, you know, was able to uh, partner with a, uh, a director of security at the time called Ty Spano, uh, who's now my my leader at Vercel and worked with him at a couple places now. And he kept poking me to come join the security team and, and finally did, um, you know, a handful of years ago. And so, you know, since it's been since then, it's been a a nice journey of learning going from you know a security engineer, application security engineer, kind of focusing and building out programs, you know, across the organizations that I've worked at, uh, you know, building out bug bounty, you know, working directly in the cloud with our with our uh, um, cloud security engineers there, and then just continuing to build out those programs. And so, you know, during that time, now at Vercel, you know, head of cloud security, you know, I, I own our product application and cloud security programs, you know, since we're a cloud native company, all that ends up uh, getting encompassed by by my world. And so it's been uh, it's been a nice transition. And it's been a, uh, a lot of learning and growth. And, you know, of course, mistakes along the way that have, you know, just kind of contributed to, you know, my, my continued growth and learning. And, you know, it's been a lot of uh, um, a lot of, uh, you know, assistance and you know, kind of growth coming from uh, Ty Spano's side and other leaders that I've worked with as well. Okay, thank you for that uh, introduction and context. 
And you know, I've been having a few conversations in the past year or so with uh, a bunch of, a bunch of professionals in in you know R and D capacities that wanted to move them that wanted to make the move into the cybersecurity world and didn't really know how. So I guess your you know use case is I'm not sure if it's a classical one, but it's a good one to share because you know you pretty much uh, if I'm interpreting it correctly you're pretty much saying hey you need to have a you know a mentor or a sponsor or a leader that's you know that would be willing to pull you into that cybersecurity uh environment if i'm not mistaken right i, I think it's definitely helpful i i don't know if it's a, a prerequisite per se you know mm -hmm. i think you have to be able to enter and enter into an organization that is willing to um, you know, guide you into the process of, you know, what does it mean to ground risk? What does it mean to, you know, communicate across that across the board? Because I, I think it's very different to, um, you know, communicate risk when you're talking with, uh, you know, other, your, your technical counterparts, right? Be it other engineers or be it security engineers or your technical product leaders or TPMs. That, that's one thing. But uh, I think a lot of what goes into security and the transition there from engineering is just, um, you know, a lot of soft skills in terms of how to, you know, um, build a roadmap for a program, how to communicate, you know, internally to partners across the organization, as well as externally uh, to help ground risk and, you know, get everybody on the same page. And so I, I think while, I, while having those mentors um, is, you know, a wonderful way to understand how to do that, I think as long as you have good partners uh, within your security team, uh, as well as good leaders, you know, I, I think you're already going to be in a good place. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you for that. And you know, we we start off and you know, talk shop, but uh, we, usually before uh, we we start, I like to ask a couple of icebreaker questions. So let's do that now. If you could share your marital status and favorite drink. Yeah. So marital status. Uh, <laughs> I was prepared for this, but still, it makes me laugh. Um, so currently engaged. Uh, so got engaged April 2nd of this year, and we actually have uh, two weddings coming up next year. So uh, my partner, she's originally from Colombia. Uh, so we'll be having a, a wedding down there, which will be our large, like all friends, all family. Uh, and then a smaller one in Ohio. It'll, it's, it's much harder for my grandmother to travel down to Colombia than it is for a lot of my family. And so going to be having one in Ohio just to make sure that my, my grandma is, uh, is a part of it as well. And favorite drink? um is you know honestly kind of depends on my mood so either a gin martini uh or an old-fashioned is, is typically where I, I tend to gravitate or sometimes just a very you know cheap beer like a, a tecate if i'm outside working or something okay thank you let's yeah. get right uh let's uh let's get going let's dive right in uh if there's one thing you wish you'd known uh, when you began your career what would that be yeah um i think you know, one thing that I wish I'd known is the emotional toll that uh, security takes on its practitioners. Uh, you know, when I joined this field, I, I knew that, you know, getting into it, if, if I got bored, it would be my own fault. And, and that's one of the main things that, you know, got me into it is, you know, the, the broad impact and, you know, the, the holistic knowledge that security practitioners know about the organization, you know, knowing where all the skeletons are, knowing the risk. Uh, but I think it's also important to, you know, be told up front um and understand you know the the need uh, and importance of being able to containerize uh and set boundaries as well you know contextual ones of course because you can't always just say no i'm i'm offline right now right because you know if something is on fire 
uh, you're always going to need to be able to respond. But you know, the the day to day, you know, kind of toll that uh, security can take on on its practitioners and leaders. Um, I think it's something that I, I wish I had a better idea of before I moved in. Okay, thank you. And you know, I know you mentioned Tyspano, and I recall that he provided a similar answer to this question. I think. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, just as an FYI, uh, I might be mistaken. It might be an answer to a different question, but uh, I do have that re recollection. Um, I'll have to listen back to his. I listened to uh, the podcast that you did with him uh, a handful of months ago. I can't remember when you did. I think it was like maybe a year and a half or so ago that yeah. podcast happened. I yeah, listened it to it after the fact. Um, yeah, it was a long I promise time. Ago. I'm, I promise I'm not con copying uh, his answer. So <laughs> uh, ho hopefully there will be some disparity between us at some point. Well, we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> yep. what, what would you say your biggest failure was and what did you learn from it? Yeah, so I, I worked at a data company uh, before moving into Vercel. And, you know, during that time, it was, it was still kind of hot off my, you know, working, you know, directly as an engineer and, you know, moving the uh, my tasks from swim lanes, you know, relying on those green checks that tell me that, you know, unit tests and end-to-end -end tests have passed and, you know, feeling good about progress there. Um, and so, you know, working at that company, I was like, okay, let's let's continue building some, some cool stuff. Uh, and, you know, one of those things was building out an in-house theme, uh, you know, using, you know, kind of uh, drinking our own champagne or dog food and kind of whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, as the as the abstract blare to be able to prevent, uh, provide those views. But then, you know, using S3 and Snowflake, um, you know, as well as the technologies, technologies that we were tying in to pull in all this data. Um, you know, all that said, in terms of what we were building, I, I'd say, you know, the the failure there was, you know, um, you know, build versus buy, that constant tension. I wanted to build something that was cool. I wanted us to be able to showcase what we could do with our product and provide, you know, a, a view into, you know, what a security dashboard would look like with that product uh, and be able to exhibit that as, you know, a partnership uh, alongside Snowflake at the time. Uh, but, you know, honestly, you know, I, with everything, you know, maintenance is one of those big things that you may not plan for upfront, even though, you know, it's there. You're like, okay, let's get this built. And so, you know, I would say over indexing on the want to um, continually build um, opposed to really understanding the, the needs of the organization, while at the same time trying to, uh, you know, build a program, also build a tool that supported that program is not always the, the best route to go. And so I, I think, again, like build versus buy tension, you know, uh, being able to introduce all these, uh, the new maintenance requirements, you know, uh, that will, of course, require the need to uh, hire very uh, technical team members as opposed to focusing on uh, the needs of the, uh, the team and the organization overall. So I'd say I'd say that was, you know, so far, uh, biggest failure from a security perspective is just uh, not paying deference to, you know, what we needed, actually needed at an organizational level. Got it. Thank you. And what would you say your biggest accomplishment was then? Yeah, I, <laughs> So maybe it sounds counterintuitive, but I'm going to go, you know, after the, the the failure, right? I think with any failure, you're going to have some learnings and uh, some strengths that you take away from it and, and hopefully some accomplishments as well. Uh, so, you know, I, I think in that same vein, it was, you know, I was able to work with, um, you know, lovely practitioner, uh, security practitioner at the time who was coming from uh, the SecOps world. Her name uh, is Illinois Pasternak. And so working with her uh, to get this done allowed us to, you um, create uh, what is now a, a pretty uh, tremendous DevOps program there. Um, you know, we had all of the ingress channels that we needed. We had all of the uh, the schemas that we needed. 
but again, maintaining those became uh, a huge effort. But once we found a tool that uh, provided us, you know, exactly what we needed, we had everything already built and in place. Uh, so that way it made it easy to uh, continue to build out that program. But the partnership there, I think, was the real accomplishment in that, you know, um, I was able to help uplevel her technical skills in terms of how to, you know, how to write Python, how to build out, uh, you know, these these Kubernetes clusters and get everything uh, tossed in there, uh, while also at the same time learning from her, you know, what is SecOps, right? Because, you know, security operations is going to mean a lot of different things to different people. Um, and so getting an understanding of, you know, the SecOps world and, uh, you know, IR in general, I think was was a great accomplishment. And just in terms of learning new things and taking some, you know, taking away some uh, benefits from a failure. Okay, thank you. And, you know, my next question, I wanted to tweak it just a bit. So uh, the next mm -hmm. question is basically around the advice that you could give to someone wanting to, career, to pursue a career similar to yours now. With specifically with you, you know, having an eng background in engineering, and that was probably your previous career. Like, what advice would you give someone like that that wants to make them move into cybersecurity? And I know we've touched on that a bit, but if you could be more specific, that I think that would hold some value to our listeners. Yeah, you know, I, I think um, something that I touched on previously was, you know, don't rely on those green check marks. Don't. Uh, don't convey the same idea of what it is to be successful as an engineer uh, to that as, you know, what it is to be successful as, you know, a security engineer or, you know, a security practitioner in an organization. Um, and by that, I mean, don't try to say, okay, I have accomplished this one goal, um, which is a very clearly defined goal and task, and I'm able to move it from a state of, you know, um, pending to done. Uh, because, you know, the I think, as we all know, the the topics and programs and large projects that we take on as security practitioners are are, are fairly enormous, right? Um, and so it's going to take time. There's always going to be dependencies that are outside of your control. Uh, and by that, I mean just a lot of humans involved in the mix of understanding what the risk is and your ability to be able to convey that to them. Um, and you know, in that in that same vein, you know, it also means don't take decisions that don't go where your way personally, uh, you know, because because they rarely are. Um, and so, to be successful, I think it's uh, important to be able to uh, take a project that is contributing to building out your security program and break it into more bite-sized chunks. Uh, that way, you can get those quick dopamine hits, um, and that way, you can feel successful along the way opposed to waiting months to say, okay, I, I have achieved something here. Because, you know, achieving, you know, something in the engineering world uh, is typically much faster uh, than it is to be able to achieve something in the security world. Of, of course, there's going to be some quick wins, like, okay, I need visibility into, you know, my entire cloud environments, right? Like, there are plenty of tools out there to help you do that. You're okay, great. I now have visibility here. Uh, what about what's next, right? Like what are the processes that I can build in place there? That's where a lot of the challenge and the lift have to occur are, are in the processes that you build around, you know, the tooling that you pull in or the automation that you're creating yourself um, and being able to partner across engineering and product and to, again, I know I keep saying it, but to be able to ground the risk um, and help your, your technical and non-technical counterparts understand exactly you know, uh, why this is an important facet in, in the program. I, I, I hope that I was able to 
you know, get to uh, some kind of answer there. But, you know, again, that's the way they think about it is don't treat uh, it as transactional as it can be in engineering. Uh, there's a lot of nuance uh, that you have to find along the way. Yeah. And like what I'm hearing, uh, you know, like some of the subtext that I'm hearing, I think you you mentioned that a couple of times is was soft skills, right? think uh, because yep. I think you consider that like one of the you know main differences between someone who's working in engineering versus someone who's working with security and as like by default needs to be working with all kinds of stakeholders in the company so communication is really important right yeah absolutely uh communication is going to be you know one of the the main things I, I think when when I'm I am currently actively interviewing for uh, a handful of different roles right now on my team. And one of the main things that I'm looking for are those soft skills, right? Like how quickly are you either, you know, jumping into a problem immediately because you want to solve it or how, or how slow are you moving to understand the actual problem set? Right. And, and that's part of it as well as, you know, how can you work alongside uh, your counterparts to uh, get a grounded understanding of what is what is actually being built uh, and what the actual needs of the business are and being able to communicate back out uh, you know the tensions and, and risks that can uh, that can occur. Okay, thank you. So without you know getting into the the weed of how things work in your organization, uh, there's always this tension and you know a point of discussion that I like to to have around uh, the structure of uh, the, the the cybersecurity in the compliance program like you know as and per particularly as it relates to IT to the IT organization what are your thoughts and feeling about you know uh, like that security or the cyber division being a part of the IT organization I know that came out very long winded but uh, <laughs> yeah. please no that's okay so I, I've I've not worked in an organization where uh, security has uh, reported into uh, the IET organization. Um, I have, am currently part of a, an organization that have been in the past where IT is reporting into security. Um, it, no matter which direction it's, it's facing, there's going to be, as you pointed out, uh, some, some healthy tension there, right? Uh, you know, because at the end of the day, we're both um, functions of support. Right, we're, we're both support teams. You know, IT is providing you know uh, our employees with the ability to get work done. You know, we're supplying support to make sure that you know employees are doing, teammates are doing so securely, or you know, and at the same time that what we are shipping out to our end users uh, also has you know integrity built alongside it. So when I when I think of some of the pros. Um, when you are combining the worlds of IT and security, I, I, I think that a lot of it allows us to remain more aligned, right? Uh, and by that, I mean, we can all kind of uh, row in the same direction. You know, if we're looking at, um, you know, endpoint security, right? Like we, we all have an understanding of, you know, what we are looking for in that regard when we're looking at point solutions. But then when we're looking at, um, you know, things like how are we providing access to our you know, our cloud environments, right? Like how are we making sure that the permissions that we're uh, granting individuals are actually what they need? Uh, those, those are more uh, vague questions that take actual uh, partnership and collaboration between the IT and security groups to get that done, you know, get a shared workflow going uh, and then share that process out to the rest of the organization. 
Uh, it's and that is that is something that um, allows IT and security to um, provide a consistent narrative out to the organization, um, which I think is is the pro because it allows us to continue continually be aligned. You know where where I currently am at Vercel. You know we meet three times a week, so on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and go over topics that are relevant to you know IT, security, and privacy. That's that's how our our organization is structured and. Not going to get too much into the weeds on that one, but you know, we we found that that is a decent cadence for us now. As we are, you know, I'm only six months in here at Vercel. Uh, you know, my leader is eight months in, and much of the organization is is quite young. Um, and so, this is allowing us to get um, you know established processes in place and an, a shared understanding of you know both the culture that we are trying to imbue here, uh, as well as how we can how we can support that culture by you know providing providing the services that we do I think some of the uh, some of the cons that uh, you know can be brought up is you know the fact that <clears throat> there's always going to be uh, this idea of okay we want to be as secure as possible from the security side while also IT is just trying to get their job done um, and, but that's not unlike any other relationship between security and uh, you know other parts of the organization across the business. Uh, you know, it just means that we're going to need to take more time to um, need to take more time to find those those common narratives together and collaborate. Okay, thank you for that answer. Uh, I wanted to ask a bit about you know uh, your journey as you know as you transition from engineering into uh, cloud security and cybersecurity as a whole. What would you say were the best resources that have helped you? Like I, I know you mentioned mentorship of your, you know, current leader Ty, and probably there were other mentors and 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 you know influential people along the way. But other than that, what what resources do you do you use? Yeah. So other other than mentors and friends, which you know have helped keep me sane, and you know that have provided valuable insight into blind spots and. You know, help me. You know, raise awareness in terms of you know, uh, you know, those trusted partners who help shine light in those those gaps and areas of opportunity for myself. I'd say you know, a lot of it is you know, subscribing to uh, you know weekly newsletters. I, I'm just going to do. Uh, I don't mind. Hope you don't mind me dropping you know one directly out there, but it's uh, TLDR Sec by Clint Gibbler. Um, I, I really appreciate uh, you know being able to read through that to get a, a nice view of. You know what's going on in the world, and you know, getting some interesting articles delivered directly to me. You know, once a week, I, I'd say. You know, now that the world is open again, you know, uh, you know, I, I, I think uh, conferences, you know, are are a, a huge boon for that as well. Uh, you know, talks are always great. You can always view those later. But I think um, getting in there and meeting people who share the same ideas um, or at least the same pains as you do. Um, you know, assist in that as well. Uh, you know, picking up, you know, maybe some books. You know, I, I have one uh, sitting around here somewhere. You know, from uh, from Jupiter One, which is you know speaking through you know what is modern application security. Uh, so you know, kind of generically, I'd say you know get to conferences. They're always a good place to meet people. Uh, you know, find you know your local cybersecurity affinity group. Uh, you know, subscribe to those Intel feeds like TLDRSec and others. Uh, that are going to give you, you know, good insight into, you know, what it means to be, you know, a security engineer across the board. 
Um, you know, there's there's another one in particular called Cloud Security Podcast um, that I really enjoy. Um, had the chance to meet with uh, them a couple times now, and I, I think they just do a, a tremendous job of being able to uh, share out real world um, um, issues that we see. You know, across all of the cloud security providers, and you know, provide a, a clear rationale and, and framework around approaching them. Um, those, those are some of the ones that I think of immediately. And also, of course, something that I'm always reading is just technical documentation. A lot of my world, uh, is spent, you know, within AWS and figuring out, you know, number one, all of the thousands of services that they have there. And, you know, as they continue to roll out, roll out new ones quarterly, uh, being able to read through the, the technical docs there. That way you have understanding. Uh, I, I'd say those are, you know, some of the, the ones that have helped me along the way. Okay, thank you. And that podcast that you mentioned, if you could, uh, you know, send me that uh, exact name, because I see there are a few of those, and I can just mention that uh, when we go live, so they could yeah, I'll send that to you. Well. Yeah, thank you. Is there one common myth about our profession that you wanted to debunk? <laughs> uh, yeah, so I would say uh, hacking back while wearing a dark hoodie. Um, you know, I, I think that's always one where, you know, you see a lot of media hype, uh, around, okay, they're hacking us, uh, let's return the hack and we'll be successful, right? Uh, the reality, of course, is that it's, it's, it's a lot of risk um, to do that. And it, it's often, you know, I, I think the juice is not necessarily worth the squeeze either. Uh, and, and so I, I, I'd say that that is one is, you know, as a defender that we hack back and, you know, as, as uh, you know, those who are attacking that they are, you know, these, these, um, you know, people in front of these black and green screens, um, you know, that are just basically going through one keyboard a week, probably because they're furiously typing. Um, you know, I, I'd say that that is one that gets a lot of media hype, uh, where, you know, in fact, you know, unless you're, you know, an APT, uh, a lot of what you're doing is using a lot of the same tactics, which is, you know, phishing, smishing, uh, and just trying to get people to engage. Uh, so it's not, not every attack is advanced as what the media tells us it is. <laughs> yeah. Reminds me of a few older movies. Uh, I think the first one I saw was, uh, I think it was called Swordfish, probably 20 years ago. Yeah. John was, Travolta. Yeah. <laughs> it was really amusing. Uh, yep. I was like, at the time, I was very upset of the, the IP address that they used because it, we didn't uh, hold with conventional IP addresses, but anyway, <laughs> that was that. I haven't seen that forever. Now, now I'll have to check that out. I, I don't yeah. remember that part, but that that would be a bit irksome. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, in your opinion, what are the main concerns that you know uh, security professionals such as yourself have these days? Again, in general, I'm not trying to yeah. learn too much about your organization. Yeah, of course. So, you know, I, I think as you know, most people are aware, you know, the relationship between, you know, today's global superpowers is, is diminishing, right? And so, you know, sort of some of the boundaries and unspoken rules, you know, of engagement there. So I think a lot of cyber activities that, you know, of course, they don't occur in a vacuum, right? So, you know, those taking part understand the consequence of, of those, those, the overreach there. Uh, but as those ties continue to erode, I think we're going to see um, a lot more impact on uh, private businesses uh, taking uh, being taken part by you know the APT so the state sponsored you know advanced threat actors I, I think is uh, one area and of course they're going to uh, take any number of routes and efforts to you know uh, gain access to systems 
but you know, more more tactically, you know, however opposed to just kind of conveying this highfalutin idea of you know what are global politics and why should we should be concerned is you know is you know the old way of gaining access to systems as I've mentioned is still very much the best way, right? Like that's by tr uh, tricking a human. So. You know, I, I think one of the most poignant ones is, you know, looking at the the most recent Uber Uber breach, right, where, you know, recycled passwords and MFA fatigue allowed, you know, this, you know, they were saying 18 year old, I don't know how accurate that still is, um, you know, to be able to access the systems and, you know, impact can be, you know, broad based on, you know, how uh, well your, um, you know, kind of what the internal architecture looks like, right. So, you know, having systems to identify anomalous behavior um, based on, you know, um, <clears throat> across your organization, no matter who, you know, the employer or contractor is, um, I think, I think are some of those, those main concerns because yes, we may have anomalous, uh, uh, behavior detection in places like our, our cloud or our, um, in some parts of current. Yeah. So I think more, more tact, you know, more tactically, however, is, you know, that the old ways of gaining access to systems which, you know, by tricking a human is, is still the best way. And, and I think you'll still find that, you know, um, APTs, you know, uh, you know, across the board from, you know, the spectrum from APTs down to, you know, a script kitty is, is going to use that technique to try to gain access to systems. And so, you know, as we saw with the, uh, the Uber breach, you know, recycling passwords and a faith fatigue were, were what allowed this attacker to gain access to systems. And so, you know, being able to identify anomalous behavior across these, uh, these different spaces um, is going to be uh, kind of one of the key things that I think we need to focus on as a security industry. Uh, of course, that's challenging because, you know, most of what we use now, you know, are, are, are third-party applications, right? So how are we going to say, you know, what a user is doing in some application that we don't have view into is anomalous or not? Uh, so being able to back up, take a look at, you know, the, the login behavior, you know, the login location, you know, is this, you know, can we identify that there's some MFA fatigue here? Uh, but again, this, you know, this is going to require some product changes and partnership with, you know, IDPs like, uh, like Okta and others to say, you know, okay, this, this is, this is a strange login, uh, and providing, you know, the consumers of that data, uh, the ability to build in protections. Okay, thank you. And my next questions would be more around, uh, like, um, you know, the transition that we're seeing right now in the market and in this space of, uh, and, and the specific roles actually of the chief information security officers and, and their subordinates. So as someone who's been reporting directly under a CISO for a while now, in your opinion, what are the most important skills that the CISO should have? Yeah, I'm going to start off right off with, uh, with empathy. Um, I'd say that is one of the primary, you know, skill sets that I, I think anybody moving into the CISO role should have, uh, you know, hone and refine soft skills, you know, the ability to, you know, explain the technical risk across the organization, you know, it, it, being able to ground that has to be context aware, right? So, you know, if you're current, uh, if you're communicating with a dollar focused business partner, you have to be able to communicate, you know, uh, the risk via cost and, you know, just like if you're communicating with a brand focused one, you have to be able to communicate the, the reputational impact that, you know, could happen, um, you know, if, if, you know, a certain project or program, you know, um, doesn't go through or, or, if shump, or if something is shipped out the door, right? So I, I think that is where we, we, we need to have a lot of focus on skills is, you know, the, you know, the soft skills, because I think a, 
what a lot of CISOs and companies are finding is that, you know, the future of that role is orienting a lot more toward, you know, being an embedded partner within the C-suite. Um, so, you know, uh, opposed to reporting into, you know, a CIO um, or a CTO, um, you know, or somewhere else along that chain, even into legal, as I've seen in some places, you know, a lot of it is being embedded directly into the business because, you know, we are uh, providing insight and guidance around, you know, international trademarks, uh, global hiring practices, uh, data retention and privacy. Like the, the, uh, what CISOs, um, although, you know, most are still quite technical, uh, you know, they're finding themselves managing risk across the business more, you know, more broadly than ever before. Uh, and so finding that their, their technical lift is less in their hands and, you know, more in those of their team, I think is why empathy, um, and, you know, focus on those soft skills and communication is, is what's going to, um, you know, provide them, um, you know, the, the best, the best lift, um, as they enter that role. Thank you. And again, as someone who's been in the industry for a few years already, where do you, and you've, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you've seen the transition, right? Where do you think this role, this is role is going? Yeah, again, I, I think it's to, you know, they, you know, CISOs now are, are ending up owning more risk across the organization. It's not just focused on let's make sure we're shipping a secure product and, you know, let's make sure that employees are, you know, abiding to getting training done and focusing on compliance. I think it's, I think it's, uh, you know, more CISOs are finding themselves being forced to navigate, um, you know, not only technical risk, uh, but business risk as well. Um, and, and, you know, there's going to be um, need, you know, not saying that CISOs are now going to have to go out and get their JD, uh, but there's going to be, you know, a lot of space for uh, CISOs to, you know, be forced to play lawyer in a, in a lot of cases and say, you know, this does not feel like, um, you know, instead of a code smell, it's going to come down to a legal smell. Uh, you know, this this does not feel right the way that we are, you know, engaging with a, a contract with a customer. You know, it seems that we have, you know, oversold a capability here, right? So that's, that's a clear example of a business risk in being able to, you know, enable sales teams and sales engineering teams to communicate the actual capabilities of a product, um, the actual security of a product, I think is going to uh, be top of mind for a lot of businesses as they're looking to hire, you know, this, this kind of next generation of a CISO uh, that will need to, you know, take a lot of seats, wear a lot of hats. Uh, and, you know, again, just advise risk across the organization, uh, opposed to just technical guidance. Understood. Thank you for that. Um, what do you think we will see in the cybersecurity world next? Yeah, so, you know, I think from an attacker perspective, uh, I don't think a lot will change there. I think they're going to keep on using the same tactics uh, because they work, um, you know, from a defender perspective. I think we'll see, you know, this this ever expanding attack surface, right? Like, you know, I, I think, you know, the drum has been beaten, been beaten quite a bit, you know, since 2020. You know, we now have, you know, most humans working from home. Um, you know, those those machines are accessing, you know, uh, insecure networks, or, um, you know, we now do not have this typical typical point of ingress you know this uh this idea of all employees are going to be logged onto a network and we have this scope of control and so i think now you know although zero trust is not a new concept in any way um you know i think it is now one of those uh kind of 
main things that are coming back into um, into trend and zeitgeist uh, right now within the security community. Uh, and and maybe it maybe it never left, and now it's just uh, gaining a lot more media attention. Um, but there's I, I think there's a lot of a lot more attention on you know how we can make sure that um, the blast radius for you know ingress into one system doesn't you know allow for access to others. And so you know what is new in the uh, or what we will see in the cybersecurity world, I think is um, additional focus around visibility um, and anomalous behavior detection okay and as a follow-up question to that what would you personally define as innovation in our space yeah so the way that i see and so let me let me scope it to cloud security so you know i, I think one of the things that uh we see is you know the um the lean toward orchestrated automation right uh and and what that means is okay i i have you know a lot of a lot of what you know we've been forced to do is okay. If if I'm in an AWS environment, or really anywhere, uh, but you know I, I'm going to build these lambdas that will respond to you know an instance of you know moving away from a particular posture or policy that you know I want to have in my organization, right? So maybe SCP, so you know the service control policies don't cover uh, what I need in this organizational unit. And so what I want is to have, you know, automation in place that does this, but everybody is building that, that same automation, right? So you're, you're spinning up functions, serverless functions somewhere that are then responding to, you know, some event, right? So uh, opposed to, um, you know, spinning up all of this constantly with, you know, with each organization you go to, or, you know, every, you know, every uh, cloud security practitioner doing it on their own. I think we're going to see a lot of um, um, automation that is built around policies that you can apply across uh, different uh, environments based, you know, by that, I mean, you know, prod versus non-prod, you know, whether it is, okay, I just want to generate an alert for this, or I want to have, you know, an auto remediation built in, or even, you know, deliver to me some, you know, template, uh, some deployment template that I can, um, you know, push in and mitigate this myself so that way i can take it through the the typical uh code control so overall you know i, I know i got a little bit granular there and probably a little too much in the weeds what you're looking for but i think orchestrated automation uh that pulls in a specific policy and uh, and make sure that your environments are, are constantly within that scope uh I, I think is you know some of the innovation that we'll see and something that you know i i've been looking for for a while especially the ability to diff between here is what i here is what should be in my environment based on these templates. Uh, and here is what is actually there. So, you know, again, it goes back to, you know, visibility and how we can uh, apply changes and, and make sure that we're in a, a constant good place. Okay, thank you again. Uh, and we're almost at the tail end of our episode, uh, almost out of time. I just have a couple more questions before we can wrap this up, if that's okay with you. Yep. Um, just a couple of questions about vendors. Let's say you were a vendor who's trying to engage with the cybersecurity professional. It could be a CISO, could be you know the, the head of cloud security in an, in an organization. What what do you think you would do in order to when when you were looking to engage with that new customer? Yeah, so I would want them to have a clear understanding of the product they're selling. I, I think I've gotten onto calls where um, 
they may not have understood exactly what they are hoping, the value that they are hoping to provide, um, or they come into you know the call and it's it's uh, completely unstructured and there's really not um, an idea of where we want to get to by the end of the call. Uh, so I think being context aware uh, as well. So you know if I'm a, a bleeding, you know I work at you know a relatively bleeding edge startup. I, I think we're changing a lot of the ways that you know um, you know businesses and uh, individuals interact with the web. Um, you know, chances are that I'm operating, you know, my own on-prem DC pretty low. Um, so, you know, this is likely, you know, not a product that would fit for me. So having some context awareness there. Um, and also, um, you know, I, I would say a do not is, you know, ask me to engage in some kind of bet or wager or gambling with you. Um, I've had, you know, a handful or more of vendors, you know, reaching out, seeing that I'm from a particular region uh, or school and saying, you know, if this team wins, uh, let's have a conversation. Um, that just doesn't really uh, align with what I'm uh, what I'm looking for. Mm. First, I'm hearing about that tactic, but okay. Yep. <laughs> there's uh, there's been a couple others, uh, and you know some other colleagues that have uh, you know shared the same with me. I was like, yes, that actually just you know it happened to me the first time a couple years ago. I was like, hmm, okay, it just doesn't. Uh, it doesn't match with uh, you know the way that I, that I like to engage, and so some others may you know be very you know willing to engage in in, in that, but it, but it's not for me. Okay, interesting. I'll have to look it up. Um, <laughs> what is it that you're actually looking for in a vendor? Yeah, so I think it depends on the stage of the uh, the product or or the vendor, right? If I'm you know if it is a startup that is eighteen months old. Or, or less even, you know, I, I'd want good product partnership, right? Uh, because, you know, obviously that, that product is still very much, uh, the roadmap is still being built, the product is still being built. Um, and so being able to provide, uh, be a design partner in that and being able to provide uh, what the way that I see a product being shaped, you know, as it applies to, um, you know, either, you know, cloud or application security, being able to provide feedback there um, and get a uh, good reception, I, I think is something that I'm looking for. Uh, if it's a later stage one, uh, you know, likely just good support and still, you know, willingness to take in product suggestions, but not to the same degree. Um, and, and I'd also say the, the acknowledgement that there's no silver bullet, uh, right? There's always going to be gaps in coverage of certain tools. Um, and, you know, being able to say, okay, this, these are things that we cover. You know, if if you're also looking for coverage in this area, here is you know a technology or a tool or component that can that can help complement you know that gap uh, as well as align with you know with us as a product. Okay, thank you. Um, what other people do you look up to? And I know you mentioned Ty Spano. Uh, do you have any anyone else you wanted to name drop and give thanks to? Yeah, I'd say uh, Abhishek Rath. So he's a colleague of mine, you know, who I who I've had the opportunity to work with for a few years. Um, not not in my uh, my current place, but uh, but previous. And he always has a smile on his face. Uh, you know, even in the the most difficult of times. You know, uh, you know, I'd say you know, I guess not always has a smile on his face. You know, sometimes he's coming to meet the event as well. Uh, but you know, he's always going to be someone who you know has helped me stay sane. Uh, you know, who is empathetic um, and is able to kind of say, okay, yes, I can, you know, we have this challenge in place, you know, but let's, you know, pause and take a moment and, 
you know, basically his, uh, his kind of mantra that he's always conveyed is, yo, bro, it's going to be okay. And, th and that's verbatim. I am quoting him. Thank you. Um, where can people connect to you online? Yeah, LinkedIn is the, uh, the easiest place for that. I'm fairly responsive and, and active there. Okay, good. Uh, final question. If money was never an issue, what would you do with your life? Yeah, so, you know, I would probably buy um, a remote cabin somewhere as well as having a place, you know, still here in San Francisco uh, and have a workshop. I grew up doing carpentry with my grandfather and father. Um, I, I do like to be active with, uh, with my hands and building. And so, you know, I'd say carpentry and, uh, you know, just being able to kind of um, live quietly and opt into those noisy experiences and, you know, going into, uh, you know, dense areas like San Francisco. Love it. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you again for taking the time today, Aaron. Uh, I know you have a busy schedule. Um, appreciate your time and appreciate your answers and experience sharing that you provided here. Thank you very much, Ben. I appreciate the time as well. Thank you.